The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing operations and digital teams to drop their silos and stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 154. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the consequences if we don't invest in digital transformation right now. Why is digital culture more important than your budget? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I host a triple threat discussion with Katie Karatsas, Paul Caldera, and Drake Pusey. They'll drop some knowledge about the relationship between human-centered design and brand engagement and how both types of thinking are necessary to course correct today's healthcare experience. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. of the week. What are the consequences if we don't invest in digital transformation right now? If you've listened to this podcast at all during the previous 150 some odd episodes, you'll recognize that I try to walk a line between pep talk and reality check. So I hope you understand that I'm coming from a place of respect. I want you to succeed. I want the digital healthcare experience to improve and evolve. And I want it all to happen before it's too late. So hear me when I say this. I hear people say that they're tired of even hearing about transformation, disruption, and innovation. Some of you just want to go back to pre-COVID healthcare, when marketing meant a media buy and digital meant you have a website. If the words digital transformation or innovation are losing meaning, in my mind, it's because you're buying into a false belief that you think you can ignore it, or that it's something ethereal that other people are working on in which you have no part. All of these beliefs are short-sighted and come from a place of fear. Here's why I feel like I have to be a little extra bold this week. I know what it's like when large organizations think they're too big to fail. For a small minority of future-thinking health systems, COVID is sparking new partnerships and evolutions that are creating competitive advantages in ways that you can't even imagine right now. For the rest, for the vast majority, there's a lot of work to be done. And none of it can happen without leadership setting the pace of digital culture. You don't believe me? Listen to Ed Marks, the former CIO of Cleveland Clinic and author of the brand new book, Healthcare Digital Transformation. In the book, Ed says the following, health systems that are not embracing digital transformation and digital health could be at risk of losing their place in the future state of the healthcare system. 
I'll say that again. If you're not embracing digital transformation, you might not have a place in the future state of the healthcare system. When Ed asks what's holding us back, the main thing he points to isn't financial resources or technology capabilities or competing priorities, although he admits each of those can play a part. No, the biggest obstacle is culture, period. Change digital culture, change digital transformation. If I have anything to do with it, we're going to work together to change the culture around digital transformation because that's the biggest roadblock of all and there's no time to waste. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, so we have a really, really special, unique version of the flow today because this is our usual segment where Zane and I kick things off and then we welcome a guest. What we're going to do all together, all at once today, because we have a really cool panel with us today. We've never had more than one guest at a time. We're going to be innovating ourselves today and trying something new. So always cool. We're always up for a new way of doing things. But I will tell you why we're doing something special is because we have the opportunity to bring a lot of different perspectives together. And that's why we're very excited to welcome our three guests today. First, Katie Karatsas, founder, experienced strategist, and designer with Early Bird Studio. We've got Drake Pusey, who's a founder and principal strategist with the Volition Project, and Paul Caldera, founding partner for brand integration with Saltworks Enthusiast Branding and Experience. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing? Good. Very well. Zane, we're going to have to do our best just to keep this uh, corralled because there's a lot of energy here and there's a lot of uh, knowledge and insight. It's definitely a crowd today, which we're not used to. Yes. Yeah. Excited to be here, though. Very excited to be here. Thank you for having us. This is really cool. You're welcome. Like I said, we, we were like, hey, how can we innovate ourselves? And we're like, well, let's have more than one guest on, you know, and, and let's let's just kind of flip things on their side. And and that's kind of how we roll. But uh, we're going to give listeners an idea of why we're doing this is because uh, we're going to focus on a link that I think needs to be talked more about, especially in the marketing side, probably in other areas too. But the link between human-centered design and brand engagement, that's going to be our starting point. Who knows where this is going to end up? You know, we could go all sorts of different directions with this. But as usual, with our icebreaker, we usually have just a quick question of what's the latest awesome thing you've encountered in your life or heard about or wondered about or asked about. It does not have to be healthcare related. Why don't we go around? Let's have Katie first, then Drake, then Paul. What's something awesome in your life that that you've recently encountered? Well, aside from Clubhouse, which I also have recently (laughs) encountered, but I'll talk about something else. I actually tend to go to masterclass a lot lately. I don't know if you guys have done that or if you know about it, but they have a ton of really great people on there. I've been able to see like Jane Goodall talking about conservation and all the work that she did. I've listened to Chris Voss talk about the art of negotiation. Wow. And people like Adelange, Yotem Adelange, learning how to cook Middle Eastern Mm -hmm. cooking. And it's just... At the end of the day or on the weekend when I'm looking to kind of learn something new, it's just a great place to go. And there's so many different things to learn. So that's been my latest. Very cool. Drake, what do you got? I think it's also learning related. I My current obsession is this book from America's Test Kitchen called Bread Illustrated. I always thought of baking as this like recipe based thing where you either get it right or you get it wrong and you don't find out until you open the oven. Mm -hmm. But this book teaches you baking on a principles level, which empowers me to 
diagnose problems and adapt and improvise and kind of fix them on the way, it sort of de-risks baking a little bit. A lot less disappointment. I'm going to have to check that out. I like, I'm sure many folks through COVID, I've got my sourdough game going. That's right. Drake has definitely upped his game. Yeah, sounds like it. I've seen the output. It's really remarkable. There are, KitchenAid mixers are out of stock at a lot of places right now. That's oh, right. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, see, we're just like, we got an air fryer at <laughs> end of last year, and now that was a game changer. I can yes. definitely say that. All right, Paul, what you got? So let's see. With, with sort of the backdrop of, you, you guys have all heard tons and tons of information about guarding your personally identifiable information and not leaking any of that kind of stuff. And then I don't know if you guys caught the 60-minute story about China pushing to control healthcare in America and all that. With that as backdrop, I'm going to share with you a life-changing event that happened to us that involved actually sharing DNA. And that is my wife was born in Hong Kong and adopted by a family in New York City. And about two years ago for her birthday, I gave her 23andMe as a birthday gift. And, you know, the results came back and just kind of confirmed, you know, spoiler alert, she, she was born in Hong Kong, like no big, no big deal. But there was this ominous little box that said, do you want to share this information with the rest of the 23andMe network? And she's like, hell no, I'm not going to share my PII, you know, with, with anybody at this point. But about six months later, she checked that box and literally 10 minutes after she checked the box, she got a bing that said, you have a match to somebody that has 53% of your DNA. No way. Hmm. Way. Wow. And so then the first question was, what does that even mean? What does 53% of your DNA even mean? So 100% of your DNA means that there's an identical twin out there. Mm-hmm. 50 or, or above means that you have a full sibling. So then the next question was, where is this full sibling? And the answer was, and you know, we're, we're here in Boston. The answer was, she has a full sibling who lives in San Francisco. No way. Right. So, but wait, that's not the whole story because three weeks ago, both her sibling in San Francisco and she got another bang and turns out there's another full sibling in Virginia. Wow. So, oh my so this, past, this past weekend, we just had a call with the whole group and all of the cousins and all that kind of stuff. And so pretty cool. Incredible. I kind of want to cry. <laughs> I think we could end it right now. I think this is, uh, this is all people needed to hear. That was, that was the, the That's beautiful. We're, we're going to have a hard time topping that uh, maybe ever, Zane. I know. Right. <laughs> and the podcast yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. The, Flip side of the coin, right? Like, don't, don't, don't let any of this information out. But then, you know, you let it out, and your your life has changed. Absolutely, nice. Well, I love that. I, uh, I'm, I'm all for this. Uh, so, all right, how do we follow that? <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's just give this a shot. Uh, what we usually do is start with what's the status quo, and if we're just talking human-centered design and healthcare and and brand engagement. Uh, there's a lot of different places we could go with there. Uh, I, I'd kind of like to start in a reverse order. And Paul, start with you in terms of what's the status quo? What do you typically see in healthcare? Uh, the benefit of, of uh, the three of you as a team is being able to see and work with healthcare clients as well as clients that, uh, in all sorts of other industries, finance and a lot of other industries, which which I love the perspective that that gives you. So uh, if you can help us from that side of things, uh, mm-hmm. what do you typically see and, and what's keeping it from progressing? Don't go easy on us either. Don't go easy on the industry. No, no. I think, I think, you know, generally across the board. So this is a general comment when people think about this stuff is that, um, 
most of the thinking is driven by what we call inside looking out perspective. And I think generally across the board, what's missing is an outside looking in perspective. And that relates to so many different levels. I have a, a 90 year old mother that, that lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, who still gets these calls saying, come to this doctor's appointment and then sit in the waiting room for like two hours while they catch up on their pipeline of late appointments and everything. And like, you know, that's not going to sustain itself. Yeah. I think one thing that's common in almost every industry is that people are, I mean, companies are so focused on their competition that they start to have, they almost, there's a natural inclination to become like your competition. And there's also, a, it leads to also a natural inclination to, as a brand, to talk about yourself. Absolutely. Um, and I think the two potential fixes there are, you know, A, start looking outside your industry, right? Like if you only look within your industry, your innovation, your field of innovation is really not there. But outside your industry is where the new ideas that will set you apart from the people in your industry are actually going to come from. And I think brands that end up telling their story with the customer as the hero and the brand as more of a sidekick rather than the brand as the hero and the customer as a you know, beneficiary of that, it leads to a much better story. Ooh, that hits hard. <laughs> Only because, as I'm sure you're all aware, especially through COVID, and you know, I don't want to distract from the folks that have done really great work, but healthcare brands are always positioning themselves as the hero and not necessarily the patient. Like, look at what we're doing, look how we're responding, look at our doctors, look at our nurses, look at PTOT. And not to say they aren't heroes, but you're, you know, as you're talking there, I'm like, wow, like we do that all the time where we often don't give a whole lot of attention to celebrating the patient and how they might actually interact with our brand. So I completely agree with you on that. I have an example of one of something that might be relevant here too, like in terms of the status quo. So by not really taking a look at that patient perspective, sometimes you kind of don't understand the context maybe that somebody is coming from. So one example is my husband recently had to have an MRI. And so ask the doctor, you know, can you give me a range? Is there a way that I can kind of see who, you know, what, who the different companies are that I can go to, what the price ranges are, what they do? Is there a difference in what they provide? And the doctor was able to tell him, well, no, an MRI is an MRI. There's no, you're not going to go to one company and get a better MRI than you are at another. But there's really no information around cost or anything like that. And he was able to give him one pamphlet of one company that he could go to. And so it started as a Google search, really. And that led him to three different companies and three very different experiences when he called to try to get some information from one who was very understanding, took a lot mm -hmm. of time, really listened to what he had to say, uh, helped him understand what the different terms meant and what he needed to give them for information so that they could give him a price that was fairly accurate all the way to the other end of the spectrum where they were not understanding at all, didn't want to hear what he had to say and basically said, we don't know what it will cost until you come and do it. And then once it's all done, we'll be able to tell you what it cost. So it was a really interesting experience to see him go through that and to see how there is no easy way to really get that transparent information and make a decision, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's really 
in healthcare, it's so much more intensified because people are either in pain or they're not feeling good or, you know, they're scared. And so that makes that bad experience so much worse, right? Mm. Yeah, I think about it. Healthcare is the experience no one wants. Yeah. So how, how do you commoditize that? How do you make that appealing? Yeah. Right. How do you engage with a brand that nobody nobody wants to think about? And then yeah. once they do, we do not make it easy for them at any point along the journey. And I think you hit the nail on the head and to what Jared just said, one thing that I you know remind a lot of the folks that I work with is to Jared's point, even on our, our customer's best day, they don't want to be here. I mean, I don't know anyone that gets up and says, I want to go to the emergency room or I want to go visit my primary care provider. And sometimes what I see happening, and this gets to Drake's point, is when when healthcare does try to look outside of industry to pull in ideas and concepts, sometimes they don't always work because you can't just pull in necessarily something that the Hilton's doing and think it's going to work for you because the psychology of our market, if you will, is completely different. Mm-hmm. And so if you start to, you know, launch all these cool apps and like these, you know, I, I see a lot of health systems playing around with like wellness point systems. And I just don't feel like that aligns with the emotion and the severity of reasons why people are coming to you and you better not don't turn your work into a gimmick, so to speak. Yeah. And the fact and the fact that healthcare is, you know, 24 seven, right? Yeah, that's a good point, too. Well, I think part of our sort of negative anticipation of healthcare interactions is mm-hmm. is almost a trained behavior because mm. we only interact with the healthcare system when something has gone wrong. So there's an inherent neg- negativity in those interactions. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trained when I was just starting to become a manager. You know, if you have direct reports, you should meet with them on a regular basis, even if there's nothing bad to talk about, just like you should give status reports to people even if there's no new status, but it helps set the cadence. And so mm-hmm. they, you train them out of dreading the meeting, right? If you only meet with people when there's something bad happening, they assume meetings are bad. I've read about some ideas around healthcare that make it more ambient, more sort of always on. So that's not just about the bad things that happen. And it's helping you manage towards good outcomes even when things are going well. I like what you're saying there. And to me, it connects with, you know, a broader message that Jared and I are trying to get out where the industry needs to stop focusing on sick care and start moving upstream towards more wellness care and even fitness. And that's where you could easily see every day the brand having interaction with their customer who at some point might be a patient if they, you know, they are very sick. Right. And right now you might hear people say, oh, I don't want to talk to the doctor like monthly, but that's because they've been trained into... Like those meetings being bad meetings, right? If it, you'd have to, there's so much baggage that people would have to get trained out of, but changing the context would be great. Right. How often do we even have an experience? How many of us can point to anytime we've been to the doctor and they've shown like they actually want to spend more time with us and address all of our questions that we had or that we felt like we got all the explanation we needed in that? No, they're probably looking at the EHR. Like never. They, they, never. they had probably yeah. had it pulled up. I mean, they were looking at a computer most of the time. That's most often the the encounter now. And so, yeah, no wonder we've been trained that way. Yeah. And then think about it, like from a marketing perspective too, kind of when we go down the the traditional, like, I wonder if this is one thing that has that hasn't evolved to where it needs to be, and that it's an obstacle to the status quo from changing, which is the old traditional, the the pyramid, the funnel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you start with awareness, then mm-hmm. consideration, and then blah, 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 all the other layers to that. 
that awareness stage, I, there's so much, I feel like that, that we're not addressing that in the correct way anymore yeah. in healthcare marketing. We are assuming that blasting TV commercials still TV, billboards, radio. Well, I think that's uh, in large part, though, because they don't know what to say because it's a sea of sameness, right? Mm, that's good. And I think now, too, people see it's harder, too, because people see when something's not authentic, right? So much more now than ever. But being authentic is hard to do because it takes time. Right. And you need to understand how the customer feels about it as well as how the business feels about it. So it's hard. And a lot of times I think people are kind of getting to know a practice or something, a a condition or whatever it is that they need to learn. They're learning it online first. So before they talk to anybody, before they interact with anybody, they're going to a website or something like that. And that's their first impression. So yeah, that's really good thought. Being authentic, which is probably principle number one for branding (laughs) requires you to know yourself really well. Right. And come to terms or reconcile what you are with what you want to be. And having the confidence of knowing that what you are how it works with your customers, right? Mm -hmm. I remember when they, again, taking from other industries and and contexts, but when when people train you in presentation skills, a lot of it is finding your personal brand, right? Because you can't be a good presenter if you're not being yourself. But a lot of people don't trust themselves on a stage like they feel they have to be like other people they've seen on a stage. (laughs) But when you try to be other people, it comes out fake. And so that is fundamentally what happens to brands that try to be other people. You have to be confident that being yourself will work. And that takes some research sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think think a lot of the work that we've done, people will tell you that they do know themselves. And then when you actually sit down and talk with them, there's wide gaps in perspective in terms of how they they express what that is. And so they think the work is going to be, when we talk about that sort of inside looking out, they think that's all fully baked and let's get on with the outside looking in and just, and just, you know, understand what that gap is. And it's like, no, no, no. The gap is you don't even know who you are internally yet. Do you have any like specific examples about that, about those gaps that you can think of? Sorry if I put you on the spot. No, that's okay. Let's see. We were. I'll, I'm going to take it from some other industries, but sure. then we can we can kind of relate. Well, mm-hmm. actually, I can take it from healthcare. Um, we did it. We did a project for Johnson and Johnson. Johnson and mm-hmm. Johnson um, had developed a product which was the precursor to Segway, which was a product called iBot. Mm-hmm. And they were marketing the iBot as kind of through the through the channels of kind of multi-level marketing. They were they were doing these commercials late at night, and they proudly announced to us that they had something like thirty-six different market segmentations. Even if you're wicked smart, uh, which is an, a Bostonism, wicked smart, you can't solve for thirty-six 
different segments, right? So what we came back to them with was with the idea that from an inside looking out perspective, you've made, you've made all the wrong assumptions about what your sales force should look like, what the approach should look like. This is not a multi-level marketing seat on the, on the late night commercial and buy it. It's a very high consideration, high emotion type of purchase. Sure. And it's going to, and it's going to take a lot more counseling and a lot more alignment in terms of the way you build. You're not, you're not trying to actually build a wide group of people to come into the funnel. You're actually trying to narrow that down so that the people that come into the funnel are the best fit. Hmm. Yeah. We have a healthcare related client. Should I talk about well? Sure. So this company, well, they used to be called nappy and they are a company that trains healthcare workers to deescalate workplace violence. Oh, nice. Healthcare, healthcare Super important. almost four times the workplace violence because of patients and family members who are under a whole lot of stress, right? And when we started working with them, originally just to sort of revamp their website, we looked at them, compared them to their competition. And the most important thing that set them apart was their singular focus on trauma-informed care and sort of seeing minuscule signs of agitation before anything escalated into violence. Like they weren't, they weren't just about what to, how to intervene when things go bad. They were about seeing just that people were uncomfortable or agitated and addressing it at that time, at that stage to, you know, just help. And, and so some of their tactics are very customer service related. Everybody else was training, training you to, to, if somebody comes at you with a knife, this is how you defend yourself. These guys right. were asking what, what happened before they came at you with the knife and what happened before that. Right. And, you know, if someone's yelling, it's because they want to get heard. If someone's, you know, throwing chairs, there's a, a lack of attention they're trying to fix. Right. Absolutely. And, and so you got to, you know, don't just treat the symptom, like move all the chairs but treat the cause, which is almost like a form of healthcare, right? There. I was just going to say, like, <laughs> as you're sitting there thinking, it reminds me of like all the checklist work people do and root cause analysis when surgeries go bad. You yeah. never solve for, you know, the symptom. You're always looking, okay, fundamentally, what do we miss here that causes to happen? Right. So the interesting thing with the brand was that NAPI was an acronym that stood for non-abusive physical and psychological intervention. So the name had the word intervention in it, and it was basically selling themselves short because they did so much more than intervention. So they do really behavior management. You can't win a soccer game with only a goalie. You got to manage the whole game, not just the crisis moment. So we renamed the entire company to Well. It's uh, W-E-L-L-E. It's the German word for wave. It's connotes a lot of sort of uh, organic, natural, cyclical types of things and went from there. But helping them emphasize what made them different and the, the humanity behind it and how it brought better outcomes to both the patient and the healthcare worker is basically the spine of that story. And by the way, that enabled them to not continue to chase their competition because they're different from their competition. Yeah, yeah. it almost creates, not to overuse the term, but like the blue ocean where they just become completely That's different. That's right. That's right. But, but I think people have a tendency to, when they're not clear about these ideas, they pull their punches, right? Sure. They don't come out and state things as clearly as they could, can because they're not exactly sure that that's the right thing to do. Right. 
You know, one thing I see a lot of healthcare brands, like especially legacy hospital systems, they constantly try to compete on quality, mm-hmm. which is important. But I feel like consumers just expect you to have quality. And so you, right. and it's not a differentiating necessarily. Table stakes, right? Yeah, yeah. it's table, table stakes. stakes. It would be like banks today selling on how they're hard to rob. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> yeah. expected. And, yes. and the right. banks that have really... <laughs> The banks that have really surpassed the others recently have done it on customer experience. Yep. You know, the, the simple bank is basically just a customer experience layer built on some other banks underneath yeah. doing the work. Yeah. What is quality in healthcare? Is it, we won't kill you? I mean, well, like, <laughs> so, okay, awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, that's what it gets down to is we didn't kill you. Yeah. And we, we might have made you healthier. So I like the way this conversation is going then. So thinking forward then for healthcare brands, be them hospital systems or anything in between, what would be some things that they can do to improve? Like, I, I really like, Drake, you just started talking about it like a principle, like be authentic. What are some other things that are kind of key that healthcare brands need to get so that they can do this right? You know how if you really want to become good at working with your coworkers, you kind of have to get to know them outside of work. Mm-hmm. I feel like healthcare and under other healthcare and other industries need to get to know their customers outside of work. Like you can't just know how they feel when you're when they're on your website or how do they feel in the waiting room. Like that you need to know that. But how are they feeling when they're not talking to you? Like what is the mm-hmm. rest of their life like because that baggage is what they're bringing to you. And to the point of, you know, funnels and how you have this, you know, patient in, patient out, problem solved, linear approach, you're forgetting that they, you know, they're not done, like they're not cured forever. And, you know, they're coming back someday, right? Mm -hmm. It might be a different thing or it might be a recurrence of this thing. But to think of every customer relationship as a cycle that keeps going changes how you calculate the ROI of your customer experience investments, right? Because you're not just solving a problem that they're going through once, you're solving it multiple times and it multiplies. And if they had a bad experience last time, they're going to bring that baggage with them next time. A tactical way to kind of do that, I guess, to build on that is, you know, if you are looking at a part of your customer's experience or your patient's experience is just to expand that, you know, and start to think about what's happening before they get there. And, what's happening after they leave. And data is great. Qualitative data is really important. And we use that in our work all the time to help us identify problems or things that need to be fixed, but also to validate things that we come up with. But there's a lot that data can't tell you and that you can really only learn when you're talking with people or watching them, observing them. So really getting into the context of the patient's world and understanding what's going on with them is important. I like that. I've also found too, when you bring in the qualitative, especially if you can get a a patient or a customer on camera and then using that, what they say verbatim to help advocate for whatever change you're making within the institution is super helpful to get traction. Yeah, definitely use, use that as a trick in the past because some I've, I've seen healthcare leaders say, well, we don't believe your data. Or, I don't believe that's what they actually said. Well, really, <laughs> you know, here's, you know, Mrs. Smith. This is what she said. Right. 
Yeah. What do you think, Paul? What are you thinking? I think, I think you know, going back to sort of this notion of differentiation, if you're not differentiated and you're pulling your punches, in a sense, you're leaving sort of a vacuum out there. And if there's a vacuum out there, it's going to get defined and it's not going to be controlled by you. Somebody else, some, some other, either circumstances or whatever are going to are going to imprint whatever that is on your organization. And then you're going to lose kind of control of it. So it's better to be proactive about all of that. You know, think through who you are and what your differentiation is and then claim it. And then we always say to all of our, you know, prospective clients and, and existing clients. And then if you get that right, you're in a great position where you then can start to worry about walking the talk. But you got to get the talk part right. And then you can start walking the talk. Right. I love that. That's beautiful. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that that's a key right there. We can't leap straight to the walk, the walk. You got to get the talk right first. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. That we are still stuck in that in many cases. Mm-hmm. And to Zane's point about trying to compete on quality, that at least, you know, 15 years ago when I first was working on a hospital website, that meant uh, add, adding about 130 different data points of how frequent certain things were when you came in and you were in cardiac distress. These were the outcomes. It is so clinical. It was it was a requirement that there was a page yep. about that and it's mandated. But that is uh, 100% not what any consumer uses to shop healthcare. I mean, shopping healthcare is such a, yeah, a right. it's kind of an anachronism anyway. I mean, we're, right. we're, I think that all comes back to the psyche behind it. Like we've been talking about, no one wants it. A couple of, there's only a couple of different ways it's happening. If you have a chronic uh, condition, a chronic state, a chronic disease that you're dealing with, uh, you're going to have a very different experience than someone who only has to deal with you know, with acute care, with an ER visit, with an urgent care visit, you know, you, you got injured. So those experiences are very different. And so I always want to make sure I'm, I'm including the experience for, for chronic care patients who are coming in every week, who are interacting with their physician a couple times a week, you know, on a regular basis, they know them by name and they do know some of those things. They're going to have an experience very different. And I think there are ways to, to innovate there as well. So it's not necessarily one size fits all either, I guess, is where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, we, we still have to factor in the fact that there's there's thankfully not 36 segments, uh, Paul, that, you know, to your example. There's still more than, than one. There's some inherent complexity to figuring this out. But I think the approaches that, that you're all talking about are, are the way we've got to think about it. These are our starting points. These are the ways we've got to look at it versus just the legacy way. If there's one thing that Zane and I can do in this podcast, it if the only thing is to just shake us loose from that mindset of competing on quality and assuming that talking about ourselves is the best way to go about this. I love that point, Drake. Like you, no you, you can't, yeah, you talk about yourselves less. That's the irony. You want to build your brand in healthcare. That part is actually no different than anywhere else. Talk about right. yourselves less. Right. Yeah. And when you look at sort of the hierarchy of the why, how, and the what, of a brand, right? Like why your brand exists and does what it does, how it does it and what it does. And you look in healthcare, like the why is very similar across the board. Why? To make people healthy. The what is also somewhat commoditized. And, you know, you've got your various departments and your various, like you do surgeries, you do MRIs, you you know, the what is pretty similar. And, you know, science is going to raise that the the tide will will lift all boats on that but the differentiation opportunity is often in the how 
Like what's different about how your hospital treats people or works or your, you know, whatever other healthcare flavor, how you conduct business and how you manage the customer experience is something that you can do differently. You can innovate in and you can, it's often a defensible differentiator. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, as you guys are talking, I'm just thinking about all the new entrants that are coming to healthcare. So you know, I work for a pretty traditional hospital system. And, but we're petrified of like the CVSs of the world, the Amazons of the world, right. and you name it coming in. And all of them are competing on what you just said. They're, they just find a way to connect with that commodity piece, but pull off this experience piece and this digital piece like no one else can. And frankly, that's, that's usually where these companies started, right? And now they're connecting yeah. back into healthcare. Right. Yeah. I mean, a hospital to me is like a mainframe computer, right? Yeah. It's this highly centralized expertise unit and i feel like healthcare right now is fragmenting into the pc age yes. of like trying to democratize it to the edge either it's on your you know it's either around the corner on your main street or even in your home with whatever sensors and monitoring mm -hmm. devices and whatever the virtual stuff is going to make some things much easier and maybe they'll prevent the bigger things from needing to happen i don't know mm -hmm. but there's sort of if that's why it's great to look at other industries because you see their evolution cycle and it's either a preview of yours or it's, you know, you can see those compare and contrast opportunities. Absolutely. Well, and sometimes we describe that like the industrial grade, right? Versus the consumer grade. And so I see like the, the big hospital systems as kind of industrial grade where it's not always the easiest to use Whereas these newer entrants are more consumer grade and built on kind of, you know, the whole culture that is around, you know, was developed around the Apple iPhone and everything being very easy and to easy it. to access. And that's, and that's the expectation set, right, Katie? Right. Yeah. That's the expectation set, right, Paul? Because we're comparing our healthcare experience with all of these products and services that we're using every day. Yes. that are easy to use. Yeah, consumer grade used to mean weak and watered down. But now that your iPhone has more computing power than the space shuttle ever did, like yeah. consumer grade is more about ease of use and fitting into your everyday life. And people are starting to expect that from even the software they use at work, right? Like Pro is now an apology for being hard to use. Yeah, I would almost call it like the human grade. Yeah. Like organizing yeah. health systems. Right. Yeah. Man, this conversation is so rich. I don't want it to end. <laughs> I do want to move forward to sort of our final prompt. What would a tactical, concrete next step be for some of our listeners listening that want to get better at this? What is something they could do or maybe something they can go learn or something they should look up or something they should just know? I'll go first. Please, I think, Paul. They, I think they should look up the... Um, Forrester did a study on the impact of emotion on customer experience. They ranked emotion, effectiveness, and ease. And emotion is, it came out as 65% of the pie and then like 20% for effectiveness and 15% of ease. Most people think it's you know, the, the reverse of all of that. So emotion is, is driving all of this. And if, if people focus on that, they will come to some better conclusions. Powerful. It reminds me of when I walk into Nordstrom, even though I can't necessarily afford to shop there, there's just some, or at least pre-COVID, obviously, <laughs> there's just something about the way the store is laid out and designed and the way they have everything there. And the, even the way it smells, it just makes me want to buy, even though I can't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, definitely 
feel the emotion there. The human decision-making process routes through the emotion center of your brain. Yeah. Like they've done all these experiments with either people who suffered brain damage or they tried to engineer a purely rational decision and it makes it very hard to choose if there's no emotional component in it. It's almost an inability. So I think part of getting to the emotions, like I said before, is getting to know your customers outside of work, right? Not necessarily outside of their work, but outside of your work. Sure. Katie, what about you? Any solid advice? I would add to that by saying, ideally, if you have some data that you're using to drive some decision-making around customer or patient experience, if it's possible to take the time to go and talk to people, like Drake was saying, in their world and understand from them that way, that would be ideal. And then the, the only other suggestion maybe would be to make your projects more multidisciplinary. Mm. So bring folks from the business, from the marketing teams, from the you know mm. operations teams or frontline staff even, and get all of those different perspectives, you know, because that's the variety and that's what's going to help sustain the outcome or the solutions that you come up with. So what I'm hearing is get out of your silo, which is something Jared raps about actually. Yep. Very good. Well, thank uh, you guys. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Paul, Katie, Drake, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Great. So many vendors, so little time Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime But it's what my job's about yeah. It makes me want to shout yeah. I need some help designing who to use without a doubt Something everyone wants Like a secret decoder Something everyone needs Like your own baby Yoda Help me to choose I can't afford to lose Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Martech.health Martech.health Do yourself a favor, check it out for yourself Need to find a vendor? This is the way Martech.health Who you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. And here's why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories. Verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers. A resource library of articles, videos, and events. Plus, an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health. Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you travel down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. Thanks to Zane, Katie, Paul, and Drake. And thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, this is so important. Please go subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. We have 28 podcasts and video series there about shifting the way that healthcare is experienced. Until next time, 
Keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. 